All right, friends, it's hoop ball promo time. This is big because this is our 2020-2021 NBA season product rollout, and I am so excited to tell you about what we've got. We almost never push our hoop ball products, but this is the window of the year where we need to power that engine. So let me tell you what's out. We've got our draft guide, our flagship's shining beacon to the most comprehensive draft guide in fantasy. We cover all over 400 players this season with future access pass to our Brewski 150. Now, if you don't know what the Brewski 150 is, I'm here to give you the need-to-know info. This is the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for 10 straight years and new this year for hootball we're unveiling our monthly membership plans featuring our fantasy pass draft guide brewski 150 our new dfs pass premium in-season tools as well as our wager pass for sports bettors everything you need we've got you covered 365 around the clock hoop ball tools is your one-stop shop for your nba treasure trove of fantasy need to know information all that you need and more check us out head to hoop-ball.com or follow at hoopball fantasy on twitter now check it out give us a follow get your tools and win your league the following is a hoop ball presentation NBA hoop ball back in the building. Another edition of your NBA box score breakdown. As always, it's your lead host, David Bracey, covering all the need to know info, news, entertainment, and otherwise regarding your favorite sport and league, the NBA National Basketball Association. Tonight, I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, Mr. Marcus and Mr. Brad, both back in the booth. Brad, as always, a pleasure to have you. Marcus, an absolute pleasure to have you as well. Guys, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing great, doing great. You know, reporting live from Atlanta, Georgia, where we're very anxious after uh, it'll be nine months since the Lions Hawks game has been played uh, to get some basketball back and going. Um, so I know I can speak for myself. Uh, Marcus, how are you doing on this wonderful evening? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Just whew, happy to be on another pod, specifically one that's going to kind of detail what will be a soon starting NBA season. I can't wait, man. I'm I was hoping it was December twenty second, but most importantly I wanted it to work for all sides. So it's nice that, you know, um the board, the you know, player association reached a common agreement and, you know, time's ticking. I think what we got about oof, a little what? A little less than a month? Excuse about me, a month and a half. Yeah. About a month and a half. And eight and I know Rachel Nichols said that this will you know, off season will roughly be 71 days, which is mm-hmm. the shortest off season of any professional sports organization in America uh, in, 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 in history. So it's a, it, it's a sprint. It's going to definitely be a sprint. Yeah, I can't wait, man. You know, as far as teams, you know, I'm a diehard Pistons fan. I'm hoping we can do something um, actually worthwhile in the draft, whether that be trading up or just landing some good talent. So we'll get into all of that. But, yeah, I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah, and just like you guys both touched on, you know, the accelerated timeline uh, for the NBA's return has really hit full throttle at this point. Um, We're about a week out from the draft now, right around the corner on the 18th. And as already have been reported, um, you know, we've had 
We've had some murmurs about some free agency deals already being signed, extensions possibly being signed. Um, this is nothing out of the normal, of course. You know, in the NBA, there's always going to be those kind of wink, wink, hush, hush deals going on. Um, but you know, with everything being so condensed, teams really don't they really don't have much of a choice. You know, if you're looking at you're staring down the barrel of the NBA draft on the 18th and, you know, training camp starting on the 1st of December, that is not a whole lot of time to shuffle your roster, to, you know, bring guys in, to decide what you're going to do as far as reprioritizing assets and preparing for the season. So lots of moving parts. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones that we've kind of seen at the forefront of the conversation is what are going to be the safety protocols for the players return? Obviously, safety is going to be a twofold concern this season. You have, you know, the typical player safety issues that you would always have regarding injuries, um, load management, things of that nature. But you also have the very big factor, determining factor, if you will, primary factor of the coronavirus. Um, unfortunately, the United States has taken a, a negative turn in that direction as case counts are higher than they have ever been to this point in this country. Uh, we, we're hoping that, you know, due to some other mitigating circumstances and factors, things will start to progress. Um, I hate to use this word positively uh, for the country um, and, and not regress in a negative fashion. And that a lot of that a lot of that progress that we see on a national basis is really going to impact how teams, franchises and organizations are able to not only provide that high level product of NBA basketball, but continue to generate revenue for their organizations, for their players, um, and for their enterprises. So a lot of moving parts here. And I'm going to open it up with a, with a, with a great question for both of you guys. Um, recently reading an ESPN article, you know, they were talking again just about all the health and safety precautions, protocols. And there's been a lot of conversation about, as Brad, you touched on, you know, this is a very short off season, 72 game or 72 days. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's right around the same amount of games that we're going to get in the regular season here when the NBA resumes, there's a lot of conversation about who this is going to be a more negative or positive impact for. Now, obviously not all the NBA teams went into the bubble, but the majority of them did. I'm going to start with you, Marcus. In your opinion, does the accelerated return of regular season basketball for the NBA more negatively impact those bubble teams or more negatively impact the teams left out of the bubble? And if you feel that it is going to be a more positive impact for either one, who and why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, you know, I kind of see it from both sides. And I'm going to say it's going to more negatively impact, um, excuse me, impact the teams who have, didn't go to the bubble. And my take on that is because you had that abrupt stop of the NBA season where, you know, everything was called. And the NBA and the NBA season was over, you know, before we knew it. And obviously, you know, they came up with the ingenious bubble idea, got that going. And, you know, once that was established, um, obviously some teams weren't included um, with an invite, you know, to go out to Orlando and be in the bubble. And if you really think about it, I mean, and I'm sure we could check the exact math, but some of those teams have not played basketball for, I mean, close to a year. You know, I just think already being teams that are kind of up and coming, establishing their identity, right? And, you know, Brad, like your Atlanta Hawks, you know, we talk about, um, you know, different teams that are up and coming, showing a lot of promise, who just weren't quite over the hump to, you know, go to the bubble and just play, right? And there was some talk of having a separate summer tournament and, you know, 
and stuff for those set teams, but that didn't happen. So I think the rest and recovery from there, it's really good. But I think it's really going to be just, you know, knocking off some rust and really getting going. I mean, while this has been a short NBA offseason, for those specific teams, you know, um, like the Hawks and, you know, uh, the Warriors, they haven't played basketball for so long, you know, and while you've been practicing and things and just gearing up, right? It's it's just such a long time for a team to go and not play. So I think naturally, you know, they definitely will have to kind of, you know, get things going. I mean, think about it. We've seen it in the bubble once play resumed, how some teams were just not quite themselves and the bubble in itself, you know, that was the theme. The bubble basketball was different. Teams played at different levels. A lot of crazy things happened as we've seen, but it just took those teams, you know, it just took a little more time. So, um, I do think for the ones who haven't played in so long, it will have a negative effect. I don't think it'd be too terrible, but I, I definitely think there would be some noticeable rest. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. But also, you know, I just want to briefly touch on, we heard um, Danny Green specifically mention it, right? Um, if these, if um, the season starts too early, right? December 22nd, you might see a lot of veteran players like LeBron and other ones who aren't playing for a month. Right. And, even though they've agreed on a timeline, we could still see that with a lot of players who are still resting or who just don't report. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds as well, because while we have agreed right for, you know, um, TV airings and views on the said timeline of December 22nd, that doesn't like specifically mean all players will be reporting. You'll still get your, you know, guys you'd like to headline for and think about it. When we had just regular basketball, you know, COVID free and everything, players got a lot of pushback because, you know, you have families bringing their kids to the game to see Kawhi, LeBron, Steph Curry, and these guys aren't playing, right? So that was a big fuss. But now you don't have fans in the stands, possibly, you know, for the whole season. So does that de-incentivize players to have to feel like they have to report, they have to play these games if they feel like it is too soon? So I think, you know, with just those few things in mind, it's really going to be interesting to see how that pans out, because I think league, you know, league wide, everyone's on, you know, like everyone's in agreement. December 22nd. That's when they're going to start. But I want to see for teams like the Lakers specifically, you know, Heat Nuggets, is there going to be a pushback from some of these players to where they're not playing, you know, full go right out of the gate? So, um Hey, Brad, I'm just going to pass that over to you and, you know, see what you kind of think about that, whether you agree or, you know, just what your take is on it. Marcus, I definitely agree. It's going to be a two sided coin for both parties. Uh, All as I think that definitely the teams that played in the bubble, they were able to have competition sooner rather than the teams that weren't in the bubble. And they got to play against high level competition with the top half of the league being present in Orlando to play in the bubble. And they got to work with different personnels and got to really see some things and evaluate their roster, whether they made it all the way through uh, to the championship like the Lakers or not, they got to see different lineups, different players step up in certain situations. So it gives them a little more heading as far as their individual team with what they have. Now, if you are the Lakers with a lot of free agents, a lot of questions, that is, you know, that is yet left to be, you know, seen because they're going to have to go through free agency whenever they do in this offseason. So it's a two-sided coin as they're not going to have as much rest. So those teams may do, especially with the superstars like on the Clippers and the Lakers, 
that are known to do some load management. Load management will probably be more of a thing as it has become a thing in the last few years, uh, made famously by Pop in, in San Antonio. But I think it will be a big thing this year, especially with those players. And I know they commonly joke on Twitter that uh, that uh, like if the Christmas Day game happened to be, be played and all of a sudden Bron is not there on Christmas Day, he's down in Cancun, what's Adam Silver going to be reacting like? And they commonly joke and laugh about that. But it could be a real thing, especially with some games they are projected to play, I think, 14 games a month. So this is going to be a sprint of the 72 games. And then you have the playoffs after that. And then just think about the top half of the, you know, the talent pool in the NBA that could be playing in the Olympics. You have the Olympics right after that. So it's really going to be a sprint as far as all the real the real talented players in the NBA. But back to the question at hand is two sided coin. I think that. The players that were able to play in the bubble and the teams that were able to evaluate their players, they're going to have a little bit more heading, even if players are sitting out, as far as who is going to give them what on a nightly basis, which lineups do work, versus the teams that have not played. And up to nine months, like I said about the Hawks, who at least they had a mini camp, but other teams in the league may not have had mini camps throughout this time where the quarantine has been happening and they haven't been able to get on the court and play organized ball and really evaluate who's been doing what on the offseason. So it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve, but they're going to have fresh bodies and they're going to be giving it, you know, they're all every single night because they, you know, were able to be in a position where basketball was taken away from them because of this pandemic. And now they're going to be thrusted back into a situation where, man, I missed this game. So they're going to really go hard. So it's a two-sided coin. I think that the play, the teams that did not play in the bubble will come in refreshed, but they're going to have to work out some kinks in that regard and some rust, as you alluded to, Marcus. But I think the teams who played in the bubble are going to be playing with le- uh, less rest as far as an offseason is concerned, but will have more of a sure idea of their team structure and lineups going forward. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Brad. You know, there's going to be this season is going to be very touch and go. You know, obviously the bubble was, as everybody kind of expected, there was a lot of uncertainty around how that was going to go, how it was going to play out. Um, And the NBA was able to successfully execute that. And again, all the credit in the world to Adam Silver and the team of people that he has around him, all credit to Michelle Roberts, the, you know, the NBA PA, everybody, because it was definitely a group effort. Now, in regards to this regular season, as I said, it's going to be very touch and go because there are very few things that are certain right now. The the only thing that was certain um, and made very certain to the players is that to start in January versus December is going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost the league a lot of money, ownership, ticket sale, everything. It's, it's going to be financially such a burden. Is it worth it to you guys to have those additional couple of weeks off? And when you kind of put it in perspective with a lot of these players – financially it was not now i'm sure physically they would enjoy the extra rest you know they would they would like more time with their families all those type of things you know absolutely but financially it, it was it was kind of a situation where you either got to cook or get out of the kitchen and to put it in some perspective cuz they're they're still trying to kind of work through all the nitty gritty of what this situation is going to look like financially for players. But essentially what's going to happen is player salaries are going to be escrowed since the league is not going to be bringing in the same type of financial revenue and gains that it would have prior to the pandemic. Now, what that means in terms is if you are a guy like 
and Brian Windhorst kind of talked about this uh, very recently. If you're a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's making uh, $5 million, $5 million right now on, on a regular basis, that, that's your, that's your contract. You're selling a rookie scale deal. Well, as you prepare to sign your extension, sign uh, a bigger deal, you know, as you are able to get the money that you, you have earned, you deserve now due to your, you know, your production and performance in the league, you're looking at what would have been this season because it's sitting at around 18% escrow somewhere in there. Let's say just 20% for the sake of the conversation. That's $5 million. 20% out of that is a million bucks. So you're looking at a million dollar hit on your contract. Well, next year, if you're eligible for, and I think Donovan Mitchell is eligible for somewhere in the 40, 57 million dollars. I mean, next year, that, that check hit, that contract hit, is going to be the totality of the contract that you were on a year ago. You know, so for guys who are on rookie scale deals like Tatum, like Donovan Mitchell, I'm sure they would have preferred to just say, hey, NBA, take it all now because I got some real money coming in later. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the circumstance. And honestly, let me backtrack that. Not even unfortunately, because that's a very few, few and far between circumstances that would really benefit those guys. For the majority of the league, this is a very, very good thing. Because if you think about the fact that you could have been eating 30 some, 40% of your check in escrow this season, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. And so what this does is this allows guys to have more money in their pocket to continue to live the lifestyles they're accustomed to, to continue to provide for their families or friends, et cetera, and not feel as much of a financial burden on top of what is going to be a very physically strenuous season. Because as I said, you know, the financial ramifications are ramifications are really what has brought us back to this accelerated start point. And financially, you think about the TV contracts because there is going to be little to no ticket revenue this season. I mean, there's going to be few and far markets between that that are able to bring fans into stadiums. And so you've got to wonder what that looks like from a television revenue perspective, because every NBA franchise and city is not set up to accommodate their stadiums to the level that we saw in the NBA bubble with the big screens and the virtual fans. And so you've got to wonder what that's going to look like um, from the perspective of a consumable product for the fans, you know, what does that look like? And then in turn with those TV markets, what does that look like with those deals? So as we see teams returning to markets, returning to games, it's going to be very interesting to see how they kind of break out games. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about more interconference and divisional matchups. For example, if you have a team heading out to Los Angeles, it's more likely that they're going to go through the Lakers, the Warriors and the Clippers while they're all out there just to get it off of the schedule. You're looking at more likelihood of playing teams in same markets twice and then leaving that market. So you don't have to go back later in the year and the season to play another game. So as we're kind of talking through all the weeds of the, as I said, you know, the, the financial ramifications and everything going on, financial uncertainty, I'll start with Brad on this one, Brad, in your opinion, what do you think would be the most advantageous route for you know to give to give fans the most the most enjoyable product do you think that there would be a negative impact um as far as viewership if teams are kind of camping out in markets and you know let's say that we're playing the Knicks on a Monday and then we're playing the Knicks on a Thursday and then you know the following week I'm playing the Nets on a Monday and I'm I'm playing the Nets on a Wednesday do you think that that is going to negatively impact viewership when teams are just kind of playing these almost these series style competitions 
I don't think it's a negative impact personally. I mean, we've seen it in other leagues, like the major league, major league baseball. They've done this for years, having three, four game series and one stop, uh, especially to, you know, when you have to like the, the cross league matchups with the NL and the AL gives, you know, fans ample amount of time to see this product on the court. And, it may work for some teams, like the bigger team, the Lakers, when the Lakers come into town, obviously it's going to be a lot of eyes, a lot of viewership, and that's going to be a lot more money versus some other teams. So it'll definitely be some ebbs and flows in that regard. But I think you're going to have to do whatever you can to keep the players as safe as possible. Because I talked to my podcast that travel is going to be a very it's going to be very interesting because you're not in a bubble environment. It's not a controlled environment anymore. There's a lot of varying, varying factors. And I know that I made a, a quote that Paul Pierce made on the jump, which I try to make not, I try to not make a habit of quoting Paul Pierce as he can be historically wrong, but he made a very interesting point in this regard as to, you know, the star players, the players that are going to get a lot of minutes when traveling to other cities, they're going to be more likely to stay indoors, not want to, and, involved with fans and whatnot and get entangled into that. But if you have a player with who plays very few minutes or a two-way player, that's not going to play at all. Those players are going to be more likely to go out and he, and as Paul Pierce said, blow off some steam, maybe go get a drink or whatnot. And the last thing the league needs is one of those players going out, coming back and then all of a sudden infecting the team. And then you're missing games. And as, as much of a sprint as this season will be, you really cannot afford to miss games, especially when you're trying not to, it to conflict with the Olympics on the back end, where are you going to get these games played in and plugged in throughout the season? So it's going to be, it's, I, I like this as far as you get a team into a city or you know that they're going to be on this part of the country. Uh, you ramp up testing, you can line up all your hotels and food services in one fell swoop to make it as safe as possible. So it is a seemingly smooth process when you're going to LA or you're going to the New York market to play, you have your East coast scheduling and it's kind of like a back home. Uh, you're going to have to work out those things. And I know with the short and off season, it's going to be a really quick turnaround for them to make these decisions at this point in time. So a lot of varying factors to, account for as far as health and safety and how that's going to translate to the product in the court. Because last thing we want is on top of low management, COVID keeping players out. And then like you mentioned, when, you know, LeBron and the Lakers roll into town, the last thing you want is a situation where they're having a skeleton crew play on the court and that's going to hurt money. That's going to hurt viewership and whatnot. So it's going to have to be a lot of things that they really consider. And they're going to have to look at some, what some of the other leagues have done like the NFL and whatnot, as far as trace testing and monitoring that and really having some hard rules and measures as to the players. You're going to have to follow this when you're outside of the facility to ensure that they have the best product that they can possibly have on the court. Uh, so I'll kick it to Marcus and see if there's anything that I miss as far as what the league is going to really have to account for this year. Yeah, Brad, I think you covered that very well. Um, just to kind of expand on that, you know, um, it's going to be tricky. You know, um, we've seen, what's happened in the MLB where, I mean, you had, uh, you know, uh, the Mariners specifically had like almost their whole team out in personnel and they couldn't play for stints and, you know, multiple players and teams had positive cases as is, you know, the case, um, in the NFL with 
you know, to this day, ongoing positive COVID tests and just really doing your best to minimize and, you know, mitigate the risk, right? But you still have to travel. Players still have to stay in areas, right? And, you know, while doing that, the odds of, you know, having players personnel test positive for COVID is going to be high. You know, there's always going to be that risk. So it's going to be a hard thing to navigate because Adam Silver, you know, once again, I tip my hat off to him because they, they did an incredible job just coming up with the bubble and just had months after months with zero, you know, positive COVID tests between the players, personnel, referees. And, you know, that was huge, you know, and obviously they were taking this very seriously and they want to kind of, you know, maintain some sort of consistency in terms of, you know, mitigating the risk and keeping, you know, any positive tests low or, or, you know, preventing any at all, which is almost inevitable, right? Because we can't just have all 30, 32 NBA teams in an NBA bubble and then just play. And players have already expressed how challenging the bubble was, you know, physically, mentally, just, you know, being away from their family and everything. So, there's going to be a lot, you know, to figure out here. Um, but, you know, I trust that, you know, good, the good people in the NBA will figure it out. You know, they're learning how the, you know, coronavirus works and studying it. And with that, they can, you know, add more preventative measures. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not like NBA teams are 50-man NFL teams, right? Kind of like Brad alluded to, you lose some solid players and you have a skeleton crew goes out there that hurts viewership. And not only that, right, we know the impact losing one or two guys, you know, can have on an NBA team. And that can kind of really, you know, having negative impact on the performance of teams, having star players or key players out for, you know, a, um, you know, extended period of time. It's it's going to be a lot, right? It's going to be a lot to balance, but, you know, it's just the current time we're in. Most importantly, they've agreed on the start date. They're constantly studying, constantly looking into this, um, you know, and I know there have been some murmurs of, you know, possible vaccine. I don't I don't know when that would be out, but I'm saying in the event it did kind of overlap with the season or something, that could be something promising, too. You know, there's there's many different things to look at here and it's going to be difficult, but you know, um, as long as, you know, players and fans of the NBA have games to watch, even if it is, you know, best of five games or so, you know, between the same teams, you know, that makes it more competitive. And I think we didn't know how the bubble was going to be, but I think as an NBA fan, you know, I speak for myself and say, I was pleasantly surprised and pleased with how fun and competitive it was. And, you know, I just think for starters, having the NBA is the most reassuring thing we can have. The start dates in place, the draft is creeping up from there. However, we have to work out the games, you know, depending on logistics and things. I think that will be pretty minuscule as we'll have to understand the times we're in and just making the most of it. But, you know, as long as we have NBA ball and we can mitigate that risk and keep it at an all time low, you know, that's what matters. So. Yeah, and I just want to jump in real quick, David, and say that I know that maybe these owners, I don't know if these owners and whatnot and management have played operation, but this will be the most stressful game of operation they can play as far as how to make this thing work and win in having a <laughs> successful NBA season with as little problems as possible, as little ants uh, along the way. And we've seen a lot of ants in 
NFL play, <laughs> Major League Baseball, as you alluded to, with the Cardinals going to casinos and having the team get, you know, sick. Half over like 19, 20 players get sick on the team and they had a sprint and they ended up making to the playoffs. And obviously, you know, once they got to the playoffs, they kind of fell off the rails because they had to play all those games in a row. So it's a fine, it's a fine line. You got to walk here to make sure that you have all your P's and Q's as best as possible. And I know from doing event, event management, sorry, in the past, something is inevitably always going to go wrong. So it's a matter of having measures in place and it's trying to be as prepared as you possibly can for any situation to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we've all touched on, it's going to be a continuously evolving situation for the NBA this season. So to your point, Brad, you know, to have more hands on deck and, uh, you know, more people with experience to kind of help navigate that uncertainty is only going to be to the benefit of the league. And I think that we have the league is well positioned with a lot of uh, leadership figures, um, not only on individual coaching staffs and rosters, but obviously in front offices. Um, and in uh, overall um, management of the league itself and the league offices. So I'm very confident in the NBA's ability to execute uh, this season going forward. But, of course, as you said, it's going to be uh, a little bit tricky with the lack of a bubble and teams moving from market to market. So a lot a lot to keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, in, in regards to moving market to market and also in regards to, you know, uh, it always helps to have more hands, there's been a lot of, you know, shuffling with coaches as, as we've touched on the coaching carousel continues to spin and over this last week we had a couple more additions to some pretty high profile coaching staffs that we've kind of seen develop so um, obviously you know the Nets brought in Mike D'Antoni as you know I kind of touched on in previous podcasts and episodes speaking that into reality they brought him on as an assistant as well as bringing on an assistant from the Philadelphia 76ers formerly of the San Antonio Spurs both very high quality high caliber coaching guys um, very very smart very, very intuitive and innovative. And I'm very, I'm very excited to see what the Brooklyn Nets are able to do with what is obviously an all-star studded roster, but what is now also an all-star studded coaching staff. Um, also adding their coaching staff, we saw Los Angeles Clippers pick up Chauncey Billups finally coming back into the league as all of us have been just really, really, really wanting Chauncey to do. Um, you know, he had some opportunities to come back with the Cavs when LeBron was there and afterwards uh, had some had some potential with the Nuggets, but just didn't find a fit that I think he wanted. And it looks like the Clippers is the fit he was looking for. So he will be joining their coaching staff alongside Larry Drew. Um, Marcus, I'll start with you on this one. When it comes to rosters, obviously we have seen this is the era of the big three. Uh, more, most recently, uh, we kind of had a little bit more parity with a lot of big twos kind of being formulated throughout the league. But as you look across the league now, you've seen over the past decade, half decade, the emergence of these star-studded coaching staffs. Now, Marcus, in your opinion, how much weight do you put into having basically heavy hitters on your coaching staff when you do occupy some very high-caliber, high-end, and high-profile NBA talent on your roster? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, So to answer that is kind of tricky because – I'm sure you guys can agree to this, but we've seen it in the past, as you just mentioned, where, you know, we've had these big twos and Paul George and Kawhi, right? And a great coaching staff. You know, you had Doc Rivers as a head coach, Tyron Lue, who is now the head coach. And, you know, just as we've seen in L.A., right, with Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, you know, all players who were formidable pros 
and even, you know, had their own head coaching jobs who, you know, just as you mentioned, form on this star studded coaching staff, you know, with um, solid teams, you know, just, you know, adding more value to a team that's poised to make a run and just compete for a championship. The interesting thing I've seen of that specifically with the Clippers and the Rockets, right? And, you know, those big twos in Russell Westbrook. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And James Harden in Houston and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in L.A. for the Clippers is how much of it really is the coach coaching as it is respecting the star power you have and running everything, you know, through those two guys. Right. Because we've seen what happened once the Clippers imploded. We heard rumblings of how role players or, you know. Um, unsaid players, some mantras hero, Lou Will thought that Paul George was getting too much, you know, special treatment. Kawhi Leonard was getting too much special treatment, being able to sit out and rest during games. And of course, all of this came as they, you know, blew that 3-1 lead over the Nuggets. And it just kind of makes you wonder if, you know, that played any part in Doc Rivers and his job and feeling like I had these two guys, we had this great core how much of it is me being Doc Rivers, right? Championship caliber, you know, championship pedigree of a coach. And I still have to respect these star players and just kind of play through them, right? So how much are you able to coach and how impactful can you really be? We've seen the same thing, right, with the Rockets and James Harden specifically, where, you know, if he was not hurt, he was going to play. You know, Mike D'Antoni could not tell him any differently. And who knows if that maybe went into his decision to maybe step down and take an assistant role because he didn't want to be in that position. Right. To be the one to make all the calls and key decisions, you know, when it came to your, you know, superstar players. So, you know, with that, guys, I'll say I think the value is always there. You won't have that level of elite coaches and not get value from it. But the thing that is really interesting to me is when it's so served up on a silver platter, so to speak, how much of it is actually the presence felt of that coach and coaching to the best of the ability 
And where do you draw the line, right? And I'm curious to see what you guys have to say. Where, where, where do you draw the line in respecting, right, that the players need to listen to the coaches and honor their strategies and their game plans, right, in order to get the most out of the team. But as that coach in that key position, you know, as we have, you know, Tyron Lue moving from that kind of assistant, right, to head coach role for the Clippers, pressures on him, and Steve Nash, you know, Hall of Fame player moving to his first ever head coach position. How much of that is, you know, just going to be a tough balance of feeling like you can coach, but the player is not overstepping that and, you know, using that super, you know, that superstardom that just kind of overpowered that as we've seen time and time again. So. Yeah, very interesting points, uh, Marcus, you made, especially when you don't know who, to, in the words of uh, escape, who do I run to? I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, the star players are the star players on the team and you have all these star-studded uh, former head coaches under one staff. And you, you alluded to some examples that didn't work, but one example that did work this year was the Los Angeles Lakers in the brain trust that they put with Frank Vogel with Lionel Hollins and you have Jason Kidd and people who have been tenured head coaches on that staff. And it gives an opportunity for the coaches to, especially if you set this bar and LeBron alluded to it with AD, how they don't feel jealous of each other. You know, you know, they check their egos at the door and they think what's going to be best to, to help this team win and succeed. And the coaches have to do that as well. And so if you can establish a culture and some chemistry in that front, which is why I think it's going to work really well with the Nets. Per se, but per se, because you have Amari and Steve Nash who played many years together. D'Antoni was their coach, and then you have, uh, and I forgot the name of the coach uh, that they just hired that David alluded to. So I apologize on that front. But you have a conglomerate of people who seemingly can work well together, and we know that D'Antoni has an ego, but he's here to help Steve Nash, and he has you know, two players that he coached that he knew what he get out of them and they knew that their system worked. So it has an opportunity to, for them to lean back on ex- past experiences. When you have those head coaches who have been in the league for years to go back to and say, Hey, what are you doing in this situation? Game to game throughout a season, manage those things. So even if you have a young tenured coach, you have someone you can fall back to and you know, gain some knowledge and wisdom. And as far as the players, as long as those players respect those coaches and they see that they're working, you know, as one and it's one unified message, no matter who it's coming from, then they can, you know, exemplify that and and do that as well on the team so that they're a united front on the court and it trickles down. So they always say, you know, it's top down bottom up so you're going to have to establish that when you have those groups of coaches like that and you have those star players and it's a a good marriage that's why i think it will work in brooklyn because we already seen how much Kyrie and kd respect uh coach steve nash uh as their coach and now that and i know that they came out and said oh we don't really see a head coach and blah 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 now you really don't with these coaches because you know that each coach is going to be able to bring something to the table. And I know I've talked about in my podcast here in Atlanta with the rumors of bringing Nate McMillan on to help out this young coaching staff here in Atlanta with coach Lloyd Pierce being entering his third year as a head coach. And you have Nate McMillan with 20 years of coaching 
hey, he's going to finally have someone on the bench that he can just fall back on. And Nate McMillan is known as a defensive coach. And Atlanta's not really a good defensive team, especially when you look at the numbers. So Nate McMillan has a situation where he can come and just really just put his defensive blueprint and implement that along with the cultures that he has established in his past onto this team. Because everyone's going to bring something to the table. And it's about making that mesh and work for the greater good to really put the best product out on the court and have the players buy into it. And then they can go out and execute the game plan effectively. Uh, so you're going to have to, you know, put your egos aside. You're going to have to be able to teach it effectively so the players can execute. Because I know we get into some situations as you alluded to, is, is it the playing? Is it the players? Is it the coaching? Well, the coaches have to be able to teach the game plan so the players can execute it. So, and you never want a situation where they're both pointing at each other, like the Spider-Man means. So, it's all about checking your egos, having synergy and working <laughs> together and showing a united front so that it it rolls downhill so that everyone's on one accord. And that's why it worked in Golden State. That's why it worked this year with the Lakers. And that's why it didn't work with the Clippers. And like you mentioned, the Rockets. So hopefully they can learn from those examples. Um, when you when you're putting together those uh, coaching staffs around the league and make sure that you're doing you're, you're being intentional about who you hire you're being intentional about who you're pairing up uh, on the coaching staff and players alike so that you're creating a system a good system that's going to work for all instead of a bunch of individuals put together into a room and they're trying to make it work. And, and now they're in survival mode. And and we saw how the Clippers performed in survival mode. They, they failed. Uh, they would have been casted off the island really quick on Survivor or casted off the show in Big Brother very quickly because they just couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, you know, the, the the comments from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant you know, speaking the praises of Steve Nash, I think are definitely not to be taken lightly. Obviously, he wouldn't have the position that he has um, without getting a nod from both of those guys. And, you know, there was some conversation about Kyrie's comments on, you know, coaching by committee. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of truth and justification to that statement, because um, one thing that you have definitely noticed in the modern NBA is a, is a definite is a definitive shift. Um, as far as coaching style, you know, in the past, it was a lot of rah, rah, rah from the coach and the players were expected to go out and perform. And now you see a lot more collaboration. Uh, you see a lot more willingness to kind of lean on the opinions of a lot of these guys who are. I mean, these guys are all stars. These guys are league vets. These guys are superstars. They see the game in ways and on levels that maybe others don't. Um, and that can be said not only for the coaches, but of course, for the players. And I think that their ability to kind of work together. Um, really has has benefited the league in a lot of ways, and we've really we've really gotten to see some some really unique situations um, flourish as, as well as unfortunately diminish um, across the NBA. So I look for that trend to continue, um, but I think overall it's definitely a positive one. And you know, in, in regards to committee, of course, there's been a committee of rumors and everything coming out as we lead into the NBA draft um, and in the NBA regular season. Of course, there's been a lot of rumors swirling. Most pertinently, the rumors that I think everybody wants to talk about and discuss is going to be what's going to happen between Minnesota and Golden State. Now, are they going to move that pick? Um, who are they going to draft? Um, you know, all the conversation appears Golden State, you know, definitely likes Wiseman. But they're from what I have heard this week in reports, Golden State's already been receiving a lot of offers, none that they're too keen on as of yet. Um, but they've definitely been receiving some offers for that number two pick. 
A lot of rumors about Charlotte wanting to move up to potentially go for Wiseman. Their conversation about Minnesota just taking Wiseman, even though he has been very vocal about the fact that he's not all too crazy about possibly ending up in Minneapolis. And again, nothing against Minneapolis or the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, fair or unfair. Uh, I think that he just wants to be in a situation where he's the unquestioned franchise center. And if he shows up in Minnesota, that ain't going to be the case. So I'm going to start with Marcus on this one. Marcus, in your opinion, who is more likely to trade their pick between the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves? Um, This is a two-parter. And the second part of that question is going to be about, obviously, the most exciting trade rumors we heard about this past week, which was circulating around Drew Holiday and the potential of him leaving the New Orleans Pelicans as, you know, David Griffin made it very clear that he is available. Now, of course, as I said, who's going to move the pick between Golden State and Minnesota, in your opinion, who would be better served to do so? And what do you think is the ideal landing spot for Drew Holiday, either for his outlook, of course, regular season and future outlook, or for the potential return that the New Orleans Pelicans could receive um, in exchange for his services? Yeah, man, a lot of good stuff to cover. Uh, first off, you know, uh, I actually was um, having a conversation with a buddy of mine about this earlier. I think the Warriors are more likely to move that pick only because, you know, they're still at their core, a championship caliber team, right? You still got Clay, you still got Steph, you still got Draymond. And, you know, they have some great key pieces they've acquired along the way. So even, I mean, just having those three guys, we've seen them go and win, you know, a championship with, you know, key feature players in the mix. So we know that they have, you know, what it takes and they should be expected to, you know, pick right up where they left off, you know, still having, you know, uh, coach Steve Kerr there and just being a very, very formidable team in the West and now having this number two pick. Right. And I mean, that $17 million um, uh, player exception that gives them more to play with. That gives them more assets that they can use to acquire a kind of key piece, right. A kind of, win now player. So with that said, I feel like they're more likely to make the trade. They're more likely to be the team that really, you know, looks for something that they like and um, just go ahead and just looks to acquire that veteran piece because them getting a veteran player who's solid, who can, you know, play well in that system is going to be a lot more valuable to a team like that. Who's already established than the Timberwolves looking to get like another featured player who may be a little older, not the best fit just to improve the overall roster. And that's where it's tricky for Minnesota. Cause it's like you're in win now mode. And if you make a move that doesn't benefit your team and you continue to lose and it has an adverse effect, talent, Carl Anthony towns, he may walk. Right. And that's the last thing that you would want for him to walk or grow, you know, um, frustrated with losing or demand a trade. So you want to get the right piece in there, but is that piece going to be available for Minnesota? I just don't see it. So that's where I think, you know, whether it be Wiseman, I don't know, maybe they do select someone and they show a lot of promise and then they can leverage that during the season and find a trade that works. But I just don't see anything that's, you know, glaringly obvious as far as moves that they should make. You know, uh, David, you and I talked about it off air about what if they use that to get Devin Booker? I mean, that would be crazy you know we would all love to see that it's just so unlikely um but also kind of looking at um 
trades for the Warriors. And yes, yes, okay, I'm going to assert my bias here a little bit, but I think this is a good move, okay, because I was reading about this. If I was the Golden State Warriors, right, and looking at a player who's established, who has been a featured all-star superstar player or number two option on the team, and that player I'm speaking of being Blake Griffin, if I can get a Blake Griffin and have him be a third or fourth option on my team and say the Warriors could acquire Blake Griffin, right, by trading their number two and trading, let's say, Andrew Wiggins and getting a number seven and getting Blake Griffin and then only having that deal with the player option for two years, one less year than the Andrew Wiggins deal, and just Blake Griffin being a stretch four and a good playmaker and overall great player in that system. I I don't think we really know how good that makes that team, right? Because we know the Warriors, they play with um, – they're very unselfish in their play, and it just – you know, adds another like shooter guy who can stretch the floor, establish veteran presence. And if you told me that the Warriors got them, got uh, Blake Griffin for two years and everyone else healthy, that is a heck of a, I mean, starting five, you know, just with those four players alone, whoever they plug in at the four or five, or if they go small, you know, like they have so many options there. And if you go to a championship and win one with that Blake Griffin, it's more than worth it in those two years that you get a player like that. So I think, yes, to answer the first part of the questions, Golden State's more likely to make the trade. I think that's a very, um, that's a very, um, that's a very good prospect that they could land considering what they would have to give away. You know, Andrew Wiggins was kind of a key piece in that D'Angelo Russell trade, as was D'Angelo Russell, just someone who, you know, they landed through a signing trade with Kevin Durant. So, I mean, just moving on essentially from KD getting someone else who's formidable and maybe help to compete for a ship. I think all things considered and who they have on the roster, that's about as good as it gets. Um, now answering the second part of your question, Drew Holiday, you know, I think there's a lot, you know what they said about 10 teams or so who'd be interested in Drew specifically. I think the two who could benefit most, I mean, are the Brooklyn Nets in, in the Denver Nuggets. Right. And, I feel like the Denver Nuggets specifically are just a piece away from getting an elite two-way player like, you know, Drew Holiday. It could really make that team a lot better. And I know that they've said, you know, any deal that they want to trade or certain teams have, I'm I'm not, well, I think the Pelicans were the ones who said it, but um, they said they wanted Bull Bull in a trade if, you know, as a part of that package deal. So, I mean, depending on what you would trade away, if you can get Drew Holiday with Jamal Murray on the rise and Jokic there and just, you know, solid pieces, you know, just a very, very deep roster, that can make that team a lot better. So I think they have the least to lose and the most to gain, you know, even if you give up a few, you know, key future draft picks. I don't know if that's what the Pelicans are looking for. Maybe, you know, because they got Bingram, they got Zion, you got Lonzo, a great, fast, young core. Maybe that does move the needle for them. Right. But another team, and as we've heard this, is, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets. Right. If Drew Holiday goes there, I mean, they just make what's already a scary good team with, you know, KD coming back this year, um, Kyrie. And then, you know, as we talked about before, the great coaching staff. So I do think that makes their team better. Does Drew Holiday fit into that system? I don't know. Would Karis LeVert fit into a system with New Orleans? I don't know. I don't know how much progress they're making in a trade like that. Um, 
And, you know, similarly, I'd have to say the same about the Warriors. Sure, Drew Holiday would be good there, but does he fit the culture? And does he really fit their overall play style and strategy? I can't say that with the utmost confidence. That's where Denver kind of sticks out as, like, the best fit for someone like Drew Holiday. I think a lot of teams are going to be gunning for him. But just tying things full circle here, you know, with the Wolves, the Warriors, having these unique positions of one and two picks, I don't think they're going to force it if they aren't getting as much in return, right? The Warriors could take a chance on a James Wiseman, right? And if they do get him and he pans out to be everything that he's hyped up to be, that could be an incredible steal. And that can make their team better than, you know, like a veteran like Blake Griffin or somebody. But it really all depends. So with that said, I think Warriors are more likely to move on their pick because just getting that right player, the right asset, boom, puts them right back in contention. Whereas I think the Timberwolves could benefit more having that extra piece there, but I don't think they're going to find it in this type of market. So they shouldn't just make a hasty decision. So, uh, Brad, I'll swing that over to you as I'm pretty curious to hear, hear what you have to say. Thank you, Marcus. Um, I kind of have my answers kind of, you know, made up. They're the they're same as, you know, spoiler alert, they're the same as Marcus. Uh, I think between the T-Wolves and the Warriors, I think the Warriors are more likely to trade that pick. I know that a lot of reports have circulated how much Charlotte likes Wiseman, and that could be a trade-back situation as well. And I know that the I've heard that the Warriors are not too crazy about Wiseman and about taking a center at that position, so they could easily trade that to someone else like the Pacers and try to get a a formidable you know, piece to their front court as, you know, the front court in Indiana is very crowded right now and try to trade that pick and trade it to get Miles Turner there. So they have a shot blocker who can stretch the floor and, um, you know, guard the five, play a little bit of the four, depending on what they ask for him in Golden State and do that move. Or they could trade back in the draft and, in my opinion, get the best center forward that they have in there with the highest upside in my opinion in Onyeka Ongaku from USC who has been mentioned a lot as well so I could see them trading back to either get a, a proven contributor at that four four or five position to solidify rim protection and kind of you know you don't want anybody you know old because you already have Clay Steph and Draymond get getting up there in age. You're not old by any stretch, but you're thinking about the timeline of this team and when now, but you're also thinking about life after them. It'd be, it'd be really good for them to, if they did stay at two and get Wiseman or they trade back and get on Yaka Elgaku or get Miles Turner, someone young to kind of continue to have a piece for the future going forward so that they don't put themselves in a win-now situation where you look at the New England Patriots right now. They've been in win-now mode for years, and now Tom Brady's gone, and some players sit out with COVID-19, and now you're seeing you know, the Patriots, who are you know one of the best dynasties ever seen in the NFL, now look having a sub-500 record this year. So you don't want to get into that, especially when they were forced into that through injury now. So they have a lot of flexibility there. So long story short, I think that they're going to be more once more so to move on from that pick. And I think as much as smoke and mirrors have come out about LaMelo Ball, not test, not uh, the workouts haven't gone well. That's all just smoke and mirrors. I think that he's going to go to Minnesota and that's not as, not as great of a defensive team as that will be. 
with D'Angelo not really strong suit on defense, uh, Lamelo Ball. I mean, that's one of his knocks on, on top of his consistent shooting is defense. And Towns has been called out for defense for years. I think that. Um, they mentioned on the Zach Lowe's podcast that that is going to be one of the most talented, you know, skilled young cores in the NBA as far as age 25 and under when you think about D'Lo, Towns, and Ball. So I think that, you know, Minnesota State's put, Golden State moves somehow some way to figure out how to, you know, solidify their front court for the years to come, whether it's drafting someone young or drafting someone younger that could be there long-term. And as far as Drew Holiday is concerned, I'm going I'm to put my David Griffin hat on and take the heart off my sleeves as far as being a Pelicans fan is I think that David Griffin is going to, whoever has the best assets going forward because they need some more bench players, in my opinion, in New Orleans, and they need a solid five, uh, whether to start, in front of Jackson Hayes or come off the bench either or we've seen that with Jared Allen in Brooklyn so I think it's going to be like you mentioned it's going to come down to Brooklyn and the Denver Nuggets as far as assets to be able to trade for what the Pelicans are looking for and I'm sure that if if they're getting a bunch of value back they're going to be fine to move on from that 13th pick which your 13th pick can still get you a value draft pick this year in this draft even though it's seem top heavy there's some there's some value in the range between i want to say four and about 18 there's some value there with the pelicans picking 13 they can give that pick to either team and in return you get you know jared allen you know karis lavert and whoever else you want to give from the nets to come to new orleans and you give them drew holiday and either situation between the nets or the nuggets Jamal Murray is not known as a really good defender, and Kyrie Irving is not really known as a good defender. If you can have a two-guard alongside either of them, who you can put on the best guard for the other team, and it doesn't take away the energy expenditure from Jamal Murray and Kyrie Irving on the offensive end because they're not going to have to expense a lot of energy on the de- as much energy on the defensive end. When you have Drew Holiday, you be able to lock up whoever their best one-two guard is for the other team. I think both of those situations are great. They both have assets they can give to New Orleans, and New Orleans can package that up, you know, maybe for another draft pick in a deep draft next year or another player next year with free agency. So they're not tied with, you know, a, a large contract going forward. Who knows? There's a lot of flexibility for all the all three of those parties going forward. But I definitely think it's going to be either Denver or Brooklyn because they have the assets to give to them. Uh, I don't see as much assets for Golden State to be able to give to New Orleans. That's just going to make them just be reluctant to move off of Drew Holiday for what the Warriors give them, unless the number two pick is in there. Andrew Wiggins, and we'll see. But, I mean, it could work. It, it, it could work there, too. So it's just a matter of who who's going to put the best package together for Drew Holiday that David Griffin is going to be like, okay, this trade is a no-brainer because he's known to be a patient, patient GM. So he's not going to pull the trigger unless it's something that he just can't miss on. So people are going to have to come correct. It's not those fantasy basketball, fantasy football BS trades you get in your DMs. And you're like, bro, what is this dude doing? Like, You're going to have to come correct uh, when you go to the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, and Drew Holiday is a guy with a unique skill set um, and the ability to kind of integrate into a lot of high-level rosters uh, because of his style of play. So. Um, yeah, there's going to be, it's going to be pretty fun kind of waiting to see, uh, where he goes. And I definitely think next week, uh, as the NBA draft approaches, we're going to have a lot of 
a lot of information flying around. So definitely have your Twitter notifications on. Make sure you're following all the need-to-know analysts and information providers that cover this league. Um, and we'll be sure to give you all the need-to-know info here, obviously, on the box score breakdown, but throughout the network of HoopBall as well. So, yeah, I mean, guys, I, I appreciate both of you hopping onto the podcast tonight. Again, of course, you know, we're, we're right around the corner from the start of the NBA season here, and the news is going to continue to fly. We're going to continue to cover everything. And bring you all of the discussion need to know info and everything to prepare you not only for your fantasy drafts but for what is going to be a very eventful nba season so um before i let you guys go uh, i'll kick it back to brad brad tell the people what you got coming up for hoop ball hawks or otherwise for the network this week yeah so i'm a very busy man we just put out another episode for hoop ball hawks today so on top of listening to the basketball breakdown, which is a wonderful, wonderful show, uh, check out Hoop Ball Hawks. So uh, we we ironically talk about Drew Holiday, as a lot of Hawks fans have been trying to marriage the two Drew Holiday to the Hawks roster, and I talk about that along with the rumors of Nate McMillan, as I alluded to on this podcast and draft. The draft is nine days away now, so a lot of exciting things. So check me out at Hoop Ball Hawks and follow myself at Brad Jarrett six seven on Twitter. That's Brad J A R R. E-T-T. Um, hit me up. Talk, let's talk Hawks. Let's talk NBA. I'm excited to just you know continue to move forward with this wonderful network as there are a lot of great things going on right now. And I will also be guest starring in Hoop Ball Bulls on uh, Wednesday. We're going to be recording. So check out that episode as well. Uh, I know on my podcast, we talked that the Bulls are our interconference rival with the timeline and the young players. So it's going to be a little fun back and forth talking draft and uh, a little bit of smack as to whose team is going to be better after they swept us last year. So a lot of exciting things going on at Hoop Ball for, for me personally. And I just thank you, David, for allowing me to be on this podcast. And it's always a pleasure to talk up shop with you and Marcus as it's just refreshing to talk to people who won't send me no bad fantasy basketball trades, uh, but know the game and will definitely uh, continue to have a high level conversation about what is to come going forward. So I'll kick it to you, Marcus. Thank you very much, Brad. Um, I mean, always a pleasure, you guys, being able to just get on with you. I mean, two well-esteemed, just very knowledgeable individuals, specifically when it comes to hoops. I mean, and it's always enjoyable. It's just so crazy to think. I'm trying to bring myself up to speed that we're, I mean, we're putting it in, you know, full gear, revving up for this season. I mean, gosh, it's going to just fly. And then before we know it, it'll be here. So with that said, I mean, um, I'm – featuring on a new hoop ball project, you know, I'm going to be doing pregame shows of, you know, the different NBA games, which I'm sure I will have you two fine gentlemen on as well. Plenty of times, but that should kick off as we get closer to the season. But I mean, stay tuned for all of the great hoop ball content, especially as the season gets closer, all of the different, you know, platforms will be on full display specifically for you. Fantasy basketball hoop heads, you know, the brewski 150. Uh, you know, the D, uh, all of the DFS stuff, so many great tools that you that are available for you at Hoop Ball. So definitely tune in to all of that at hoop-ball.com. As for myself, you can find me on Instagram at Mark N-A-R-C underscore Anthony 35. And on Insta, excuse me, that's my Twitter. Sorry. And on Instagram, um, on Instagram at Braden Marcus. So stay tuned, stay locked in. You know, we'll continue putting out that quality content for you guys and, you know, we'll be reporting every step of the way once all the madness drops with trades, free agent signs, and who's drafting who. So stay tuned for all of that, and I'll kick it back to you, David. 
Absolutely. Like Marcus and Brad both said, we're going to be covering all angles and facets of the league. So make sure you're tuned in, subscribed. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to leave a five-star review um, on any of the podcasts or shows that you subscribe to, listen to, uh, or participate in. We appreciate all of our listeners. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, DFB underscore three. Shoot me a DM. Give me some questions you have about your fantasy drafts, about the NBA going on right now, about trade rumors, about anything at all. And we'll touch on them over the next show. I definitely am always a big fan of fan mail. So be sure to send it in, and I promise you we will cover it on the next episode. As always, I appreciate my co-hosts. I appreciate all of our listeners here that are part of the football army and the family out there that we have nationwide and internationally. We appreciate all of you, everybody, wherever you are, however you are. Stay healthy, stay happy, and keep hooping. Talk to you all soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.